Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Drew Barrymore getting bludgeoned in a kitchen. It's October now, I can do Halloween, can't I? Yeah? Okay. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking. Thank you very much for joining us once again and hitting that download button. Nicer than a daily Atkinson chip over, was it Neil Sullivan? That was a great goal. It was the anniversary yesterday, so that's why it's on my mind. Well, today we are, as it's, uh, well, it's European week this week, wasn't it? Um, Quite an eventful week as well. Not so much if you're a Tottenham fan, but uh, we'll keep that in 2019, not in the 90s that we talk about. Instead, on today's show, we are talking about a competition that I think remains quite dear to our hearts as 90s football fans. Even before it, I mean, it's a competition that started in the 60s, um, wasn't made defunct literally at the end of the 90s. Uh, 1999 was the last uh, competition it has, and that's the Cup Winners' Cup. Something we have touched on in the past, uh, I think we even did an episode called Bring Back the Cup Winners' Cup, uh, way back um, at the start of Alive and Kicking's um, run on the, on the airways, as you will. Uh, but I think that was mainly talking about big European nights in general, and we talked uh, to talk about Norwich in the UEFA Cup and the teams in the Cupman's Cup that we'll probably cover again today. But this is very much in the Cup Winners' Cup um, field, I suppose, today. Yeah, um, we'll be talking English teams, basically what they did. Now, it was a big decade for the Cup Winners' Cup for English teams. And something I discovered, actually, when I was doing research, yes, sometimes I do research, uh, for this episode was that more teams in England won the Cup Winners' Cup than any other country. They won it eight times during its history. So England kind of ruled the Cup Winners' Cup in its its all histories. But we'll talk more about that and loads more in between uh, with myself, Joel Young, of course. Um, check out his stuff now for Planet Football. Yeah, he's right for Planet Football. Yeah, him and Sid Lambert riding the nostalgia waves for us, as per usual. That's all good. So well done to them. And, of course, Matthew Christ, who, um, as we all laugh about on the show, doing great stuff for fans bet with Brian McClare. And also he writes for a plethora of outfits. There you go. I didn't say it on the show, so I thought I'd, I'd say it now for Matthew. And, and joining us as well... We have a special uh, guest who knows more about the Cup Winners' Cup than probably all three of us put together. Uh, maybe not Matthew, seeing as May 9's win in 1991, but definitely on a bigger scale. Uh, Stephen Scragg, who's written a brand new book on that very subject called Frozen in Time, uh, available from all good and probably some bad bookstores. So do check that out. Um, I'll give him time to, t- uh, to plug the book on the show. But yeah, it's good. Um, and I hope you're enjoying this kind of new format that we're doing where we're, we've got, you know, Joe and Matthew and myself kind of giving you the usual shtick, but also bringing in a few new faces to talk about our subjects that um, they're probably collect more knowledgeable on, but collectively it makes it for a more interesting show, I'm hoping anyway. Um, I know we mentioned previously that we're, we're talking Diego Maradona and John Ladden, who was behind the uh, latest biopic about Diego Maradona. That is happening um, due to John's schedule. We had to rearrange the episode slightly, uh, which is why we did the Cup Winners Cup one first, which kind of worked out well because we we're on European week this week. And also we recorded last night, which was uh, on a Thursday night. So is there more apt than Thursday night football um, for the Cup Winners Cup? Um, and we've got some also we've got some footballers coming up. I know we've had taken a break from that as well, but coming at you in the next few episodes, we will have uh, Clive Allen, who's talking about his new book. Uh, Darren Eady is lined up and former Villa midfielder Gareth Farrelly and a couple of others as well, Earl Irons in the fire. So yeah, all loads more to come um, before the end of the year 
for a live and kick in and probably more in the new year you know we'll keep it going as long as you want to talk 90s football because i could talk about it all day um so i'm not going to i'm going to move on to let everyone else talk about it as well as myself um so here is our cup winners cup special with myself joel matthew and special guest Stephen scrag please enjoy and always keep it 90s before you start the show, a quick apology, which I hate doing, um, but I wanted to warn you guys before you get into it. Some of the sound levels aren't as sharp as they normally are on the show. I think where I've moved, obviously, is, and notably on Joel and Matthew's line, it's quite quiet. Um, but I'm going to spend the rest of the week editing to making sure that the next episode is as good as usual. But I just wanted to warn you guys before you get into it. Hopefully it doesn't disrupt you, the show and you enjoy it still. Keep it 90s! Here we are again, back once again, uh, with my favourite people here on Alive and Kicking. Firstly, he is now a writer for Planet Football. Check out his stuff, yes. As well as a social media mogul, he's now jumped on our bandwagon as well. Uh, and he's older than Christian Gross was when he first managed Tottenham. How you doing, Joel Young? I'm all right, but at one, I am the same age that Christian Gross same was. Same age, sorry. Misquoted you. Time was not kind to Christian Gross, was it? Um, Secondly, I've been writing since I was 18 years old. Well, actually, I've been physically writing since I was four years old. But you're not the only one who's edited a magazine, Ash. Come on. True, that is, yeah. We've never, your dark past has never come out on here, really, has it? But yes, yeah, you. So I had my own magazine for a long while. Bloody, bloody bad. But no, I just got back into it thanks to our friend Sid Lambert. Yes. And now, and there's a thing up about throw-ins, which was quite silly. And I've just written something that was meant to be a thousand words, and it's about 3,000 at the minute. About. Alan Sugar's life in football, which, you know, to tie in with The Apprentice, which is actually quite a sort of bit of it, a very, very dark indeed. Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was going to be lighthearted and fun, and, and it isn't, and that's where Christian Gross came into things. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, well, we'll look forward to reading that. And, of course, joining us, as always, he also has been all over your social media this week with his best pal, Brian Leclerc, for Fans Bet, writer, blogger, author, and all those above, Matthew Chris. How you doing? And how's Brian, old Chucky? Brian's good, yeah, yeah. I, uh, he bought me a birthday drink on Tuesday, wasn't it? Even though my birthday was Saturday, he, he obviously. Oh, oh happy belated so he, birthday! Yeah, yeah, he took me to the, the finest Weatherspoons on Deansgate and bought me a pint of Flat Fosters. But you know, I'll forgive him. My absolute right. footballing hero. You know, I'm going to forgive him. Are you going to write his autobiography? Yeah, that's true. Hard, yeah, it's certainly going to be called the Life of McClare, just to be really funny. Well, you know, watch this space. Watch this place. Talking, oh. talking of writing, I want to know how many outlets Joel has to write for before he gets accused of writing for a plethora of outlets. <laughs> normally that's that's my true. Interest. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't say it this time, did I? No, I was too busy but, you know, focusing on Mr. McClare, wasn't I? So. Yeah. Oh no, he, he's he's absolutely fine. He's uh, he's great company as always. Although he did predict United against AZ Alkmaar would be a score draw, and I think. Nobody would have predicted that. So, uh, Not a shot on target, isn't it, I believe? No, I don't know. I, I, I don't even watch it anymore. If, if Matthew cared, one, he would have left ten minutes into the game. And, yes. you know, that, that, that's the most important thing. And two, he probably would have given us a prediction that was... Actually, you know, I'm going to be kind to Matthew. I think he would have been near. He would have shot been... from either side. Oh, well, don't know about Alkmaar. I know that Man United oh, no, didn't. No, 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 Alkmaar from what I no, did, the, the 10 minutes I watched, yeah, it's, uh, it was, yeah. We'll get on with our lives so much better and, and faster if it was just a 10-minute game. I mean, this is what <laughs> we're trying to do in cricket all the time, but we won't talk about those embarrassing kits that got released on the cricket. Are they cricket kits? I saw that picture today with the crisps oh, on them. When I tweeted it out, 
Oh, I, I saw it about three or four times, but yeah, is that as... Oh, oh, well, you know, come on, be nice. But yeah, it was your tweet, obviously. Yeah, so this is for the new competition that is called The 100. Oh, uh, right. Who the bloody hell knows why they're doing this, uh, but it's going to be cities. Um, so London, all of London's got two, and there's a weird northern team that stretches from, like, Durham across to Barrow and down to... It, it's ridiculous, and it's there. The only good thing I can say about it is um, it's going to be on the BBC, so it might get kids into cricket. But uh, beyond that, it's not a good idea. Mm. And it doesn't really make sense to have crisps as sponsors. It's not very well. Oh. KP is sponsoring the whole. Oh, thing. I sponsor the whole thing. I so see. Yes. Yeah, so I went. I went uh, to see some people this week about potentially doing some stuff on for KP, and I went in and said two things. I went, okay, one. You're sponsoring the uh, you're sponsoring the hundred, then I see, and you're going to have all the shirts and everything. And the guy who's interviewing me said said, uh, I, d- I didn't know we were doing that. And I went, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Like KP spent a lot of money doing this, and you know, and I was there sort of doing a bit of consulting and chatting and figuring out what we were going to do. And then I said, the best thing to do, obviously, is to get Kevin Peterson involved. And I and they went why i don't know who he is and i went Ugh, well i mean even listening to the words kevin peterson you should know why you want to get him involved with kp so these are the people that run the world of advertising but anyway enough of these clowns okay all right well it's interesting insight into the world of cricket um i was gonna say yeah i don't know it, yeah i didn't know how to segue i was really trying to think of a segue then and i really couldn't People who don't understand the social media doing social media. That's what it was. There we go. Well, with somebody who has been on social media, there we go. He's going to join us in a minute because we're talking Cup Winners Cup tonight, which is something that we've kind of touched on here and there, but we're going to delve right into it um, with a guest we've got today. He's got a new book on, on that very subject. Uh, kind of apt, of course, because it is. we're recording this on a Thursday night, which is Cup Winners Cup night, and also Man United, as we just discussed. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get knee-deep into Cup Winners Cup of the 90s um, right on the other side of this. This is Gary Stevens, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, and pleasure joining us for the first time. A man you may have heard across a plethora of different podcasts. Because oh, there's, there's my word, yeah, there's my word. Because it's very apt as we're talking at the moment. It's Thursday night we're recording. Thursday night football used to be, and lastly in the nineties, Cup Winners Cup night. And a man who's written on the book literally on the subject is called Frozen in Time. Stephen Scrag, thank you very much for joining us. How you doing, mate? Oh, doing very well, thank you. Are you all well? We're good, yeah. We were yep. we've talking very well, welcome. Yeah. We're talking cricket before the break, so I'm very glad that you've interrupted that nonsense. Um we'll talk Cup Winners Cup for in a minute and the book and stuff, but you've joined us and we get always a couple of questions for first time uh, guests on the show. We call it our nineties C V. Um you're a Liverpool fan, so your favourite Liverpool player of the nineties. This is always quite interesting from Liverpool fans, but who are you plumping for? Oh Fowler. Robbie Fowler. God. <laughs> Yeah, God himself. himself. The most natural, natural born goal scorer I've ever seen in in, in a Liverpool shirt in person. Um, you know, I, I, I'm old enough to have seen Rush, old enough to have seen Daglish, uh, and and so many others. And we've had you know, the likes of Torres and Suarez since, and and all manner of, of forwards, but none that quite had that dead eye for a goal 
he, he had this propensity to be able to make the goal so much bigger because he could aim for the inside of the netting, you know, the roof of the netting, and it was almost as if he, he enlarged the goal. And uh, and I, I know of people who were old enough to see Jimmy Greaves who, who compared Fowler's natural instinct for goal to, to, to the great man himself. Where does Michael Owen fit in that, in your t- table? Because he's someone that never gets... I was a big Owen fan growing up. Where does Owen fit in that kind of table of strike, as you mentioned there? Uh, yeah, he's, he's way up there as well. I mean, Owen was a complexity. He relied a lot on his pace, mm. which took him away from, from defenders. And, and he was good with that thinking time that he could run onto a ball. He just suited the mid-1980s Liverpool very, very well, ironically, because we used to play the ball through the middle. Matt Dalglish, Malby, John Walk, they had the, we didn't play with wingers as such, we played with wide midfielders. It wasn't until John Barnes arrived that we, we went more for a winger. And, uh, and we used to play so much football through the middle for Rush to run onto. And if you, in your mind's eye, think of an Ian Rush goal of the 1980s, it probably involves him running with the ball from about 30, 35 yards from a slide reel pass. And, uh, and Michael Owen had a lot of that in him. But within that, it meant that you had to pray that his hamstrings never yeah, went to Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't have... I, I, not quite as predatory and, and naturally gifted a striker or goal scorer at the very least as, as Robbie Fowler was. Yeah, definitely. I'm very happy there that Steve mentioned uh, John Walk. Yeah. You know, escape to victories, John Walk. It, escape, yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, you know, also a, a Middlesbrough player for one whole season. So, you he know, was, you're on my good side already. Yeah. Uh, he was a wonderful player, was John Walk. Massive amount of goals that he scored from midfield as well. And, uh, and Just look at it now, he played 70 games and scored 28 times. That's decent, that's decent isn't it? Yeah, uh, in, in, in an era of Ian Rush, he was, I think he was our top scorer in 84-85. Rush started the season injured, which gave Walk a bit of a running start. But even then, you know, if you're Ian Rush and you give someone a 10-game start, you'd still expect him to eclipse everyone else. And, and he, you know, he didn't. John Walk, I'm pretty sure, was our top scorer that season. And, he was. He was a fantastic player who falls under the radar for a lot of people. As a 90s football podcast, though, he is an Ipswich player to us and he was in the Alive and Kicking advert with the laces kit, so that's how I always see John Walk. <laughs> that's right, he was. He was yeah, indeed. Yeah, the, you know, yeah, that, that, before, Ian Rush lives around the corner from me, Ash. Does he? Yeah, it's London. he's got a London flat and it's about four minutes walk away. We've never discussed that on here. Have we not talked about No! I live in North London, and he on a recent new de- like sort of development. Basically, the whole town was knocked down, and uh, Ian Rush occasionally turns up in the pub around the corner of the Beaufort in Collindale. He occasionally turn up in there, and everybody goes, "Rushy's in, Rushy's in, Ian's in." I got him to do a cheers Tim, cheers Simon once in the old Sunday brunch days. So there you are. If you ever want to go and stalk Ian Rush, come and see me. I'll take you around there, and then I'll leave you because there's a police station just around the corner, so that'll be fine. So it's taken us what near over 110 episodes to realise that you and Ian must sure have before. the same gardener. No, he doesn't know. Oh, the gardeners were out today, but we'll talk about that. Later <laughs> on. Okay, um, Steve. Our other question, of course, is uh, outside of Anfield. Um, so, non-Liverpool player, who would you say was best player of the 90s for you? Uh, I'd be surprised if you've not had this one before, but Roberto Baggio. Oh, do you know what? Not many. Oh, yeah, not yeah. many. Yeah, go on. Talk to us about the divine ponytail. Oh, he, he just was the nineties. Yeah, you know, he, he came to to life for, for the vast majority of the world. Italian ninety, 
and uh, you know he, he was there throughout from start to finish you know a few injuries here and there but he was almost like the Andre Agassi of football you know those, those peaks and troughs you know that he came and went didn't quite work out at AC Milan had fallouts into Milan with, with Lippi you know those reinventions likes of Brescia that were just hypnotic you know you, you thought he was finished but he wasn't he came back for more and uh, you know he just symbolised it and it's that era of kind of like football Italia Channel 4 and and everything that was was so great about that era mm-hmm. and for me as a Liverpool fan the 90s were, were a bit of a sore point for much of it so you know watching you know ignoring the, the Premier League football on Sky and watching the Italian football on Channel 4 instead was a uh, you know, a regular thing in some dark seasons. Mm. Of course, I've never forgiven him for missing that penalty in the uh, World Cup final. No, I, he, I had a huge wager on Italy as an 18-year-old, and uh, oh. he basically bankrupted me. Oh, well, well, sure. well, he didn't really. I think I had 10 <laughs> quid on it. But at the time, that was, well, a, that that was a night out, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically, though, Matthew, you must have made so much money from your own bookmaking that you'd done since you were about six or something. So, I mean, you shouldn't be too yeah. harsh. You know, we all lose him sometimes. <laughs> Badger, of, of course, once... I, mean, I, I backed Manchester United tonight, to be honest. Did you? You're an, yeah. you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, you are. Do you want to know what my treble was? So stupid. Manchester United, Rangers and Celtic. What's that? I did, what was the Rangers score in the end? I don't even know how Rangers got on. They were winning 1-0 and they got beat 2-1. I'm a big team. Um, but it was 12-1, to 1, so I thought at 12-1 to 1 it was a decent. Mm. There's, a, there's a reason why it's 12-1. to 1. Well, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, let's keep it 90s. Yeah. Well, I was going to say... Well, you know, you're the background here. Yeah. I was going to say, well, fans, last point on Baggio, he was uh, he was obviously, Baggio, famously linked with QPR. That's one of the big transfer rumours of the 90s. That was yeah. always... Uh, I was I have that pinned to my wall for many a year, just hoping it was true. But, of course, it was absolute nonsense. Um, he did get some Italians in the end, but just not quite... Yeah, and about two decades later as well. Yeah, yeah. Briatore. No, there's not the four. Not not like the four-year plan. There's not many films like the four-year plan. Yeah, it is very good, very good. Um, something else that is very good. Zoom segue for that. Um, is your new book, Stephen? Um, Frozen in time about the Cup Winners' Cup. What? Firstly, what made you? go down this route it's obviously a competition I always talk about on here just because it reminds me growing up that third competition that was probably rated higher than the Europa League scene now but what made you write a book on the subject uh, it was a bit by accident really I mean we'd, we'd done a series of podcasts on these football times on the the glory days of the European Cup the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners Cup and um, the Cup Winners' Cup one went down pretty well. I mean, they all went down well, but the Cup Winners' Cup one, I think, hit its own for a lot of people. And um, a, a colleague of mine called Will Sharp, just vaguely tongue-in-cheek, partly serious, partly tongue-in-cheek, said, absolutely love that podcast. Uh, what you need to put on your to-do list is to, to write a book about the Cup Winners' Cup. And uh, laughed it off for five minutes and then started to think, you know what, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and then uh, by the time you've written a few notes here and there and... You know, come up with a few a few kind of like topics to, to shape out as as chapters and you've written like the, the first paragraph basically then it's a book and you look at it and you think yeah and and I was I'm, I'm still another book to finish that has been you know on on the radar for about a year and a half now that I've got to go back and finish so it's actually the second book I've written first one completed but the second one in progress so 
with it being 20 years since it had ended, mm. it just made sense. So uh, I was talking to, to publishers about a different book, and then uh, this topic of the Cup Winners' Cup tipped up, and I said, oh, I've got this idea on the on the drawing board, and and, uh, and they said, yeah, let's go for it. So as soon as a publisher says, let's go for yeah, it. Yeah, I know, yeah. Now the, the other book goes into cold storage, and then you just go for it. And so it, it was a... Having, having had that first paragraph down, it was just the the epic race to the finish line. What your sort of earliest memories of it anyway? Was you have you always been a fan? I mean, I've always said I've always had to bring it back because I think European football now Europa League is seen as a secondary cousin. It seemed to me I don't know if it's through rose tinted spectacles of that era, but the Cup Winners Cup until the latter years when they obviously got rid of it for a reason when attendances start dwindling. But it seemed like a big deal. We'll, we'll talk about the, some of the particular moments in a second, but. Do you always remember it being a big deal? Was that part of why you wanted to write the book? Yeah, I mean, the, all three of the major tournaments were, were, were big deals. I mean, uh, the book that I've written kind of like leans heavily on the sports night theatre, you know, midweek sports special yeah. and all that, because, you know, very rarely were the games on live. So you would hear local comment or your radio commentaries, which would lean on either your local station if, you, if one of your local teams was involved. Or Radio Two in the in the days before Radio Five, Radio Two used to do commentaries, but they were often second half commentaries. So you'd, you'd hear goal updates and then you'd hear the second half commentary, and it was great just kind of listening to these commentaries on the radio and then being able to watch the the highlights of them later on that evening. And, and being a school kid at the time as well, it meant that you know it was a unauthorized late night stop up because my dad you know loves his football, so it was kind of like yeah the chance to stop up and watch. You know, Dean and Otobisi take West Ham apart or whatever it was. It was it was just gleefully accepted, uh, and each of the tournaments had a different feel to them. They were like three siblings yeah. with three different personalities. The European Cup was was a bright shiny thing that even the trophy itself just seemed to gleam, and it was the fact that you had to win your league title to to get there as well. There was this massive 42 game preliminary round the previous season to be a part of it. So this is where the elite was. Yet in the UEFA Cup, you had an extra round, an extra third round towards December that made that unique. The two-legged final made it unique. Uh, you had three or four teams from each country, but the qualification criteria was lower. So the field was greater than the, the, the European Cup, but you, your way into it was easier. So it kind of leveled that yeah. one down a bit. And then, and then the Cup Winners' Cup, which just had the randomness of of, of being involved as a domestic cup winner and whereas you can win clusters of league titles and have teams that would dominate throughout decades league titles domestic cups had a, a much more variable to them that you know it didn't always make sense it wasn't always the biggest team that won the domestic cup in england for instance throughout the 70s into the early 80s you had sunderland southampton and west ham mm. all won the fa cup from the second division so that it just offered that random nature to it. You had teams like Ajax, for instance. You know, they only played they played it in '62. They didn't play it again till '82. So you would have big teams in it every year, but it was often a different big team. There were no usual suspects in the Cup Winners' Cup, and uh, and the field always seemed to be you know reshuffled every single year. So whereas you would see teams tip up in the European Cup and UEFA Cup on a regular basis, you didn't have that in the Cup Winners' Cup, and it just made it. You know, it gave it its own personality. Mm, no. I was looking at the thing on uh, 442. Some of these teams, Bayer Erdingen, oh, Erdingen. Yeah. Thor, BSG, Sashringen, Schwickau, Dunfermline Athletic, 
uh, and the 1981 final, uh, Dynamo Tbilisi, Carl uh, Zeiss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, uh, I wouldn't know whether that was that. a football team or that, a gymnast. Yeah, that 80 that 81 final is what's on the front cover of the book. You know, Dynamo Tbilisi were uh, the stereotypical crack Eastern European outfit, which was you know the the, the the remark that the commentators would always come out with because that brilliant Eastern block that you know football hipsters lamented the the death of communism because it made football far less interesting. These teams that came from behind the Iron Curtain that you you knew very little about, and, and then they come and they just take teams apart and then disappear again behind the Iron Curtain until the next round. And it's, they were great. They were just, you know. Sorry, go on. No, no, you go for it. Yeah. No, I was just going to say we went to. I went to Lords the other day, sorry, this is cricket, and they've just started to tear down one of the stands, and the three of us, me and my two mates who went, just looked at each other and like, went, oh, it's like Sparta Prague in here, it's like, you know, we still use that as a point of reference, and I think that's what you're saying there, you know, is these weird Iron Curtain teams who you never heard from again. And when you look at when you look at the finals, even in the 90s, and you got teams like Royal Antwerp, who made the final, Rapid Vienne, you know, Stuttgart when Chelsea beat them in '98. The, like you say, Steve, there's the teams you don't really expect to see yeah, in, I mean, in you, finals. You can, throw, you can throw Mechelen into the yeah. mix. They won in '88, and they'd never taken part in the on up until then. And then they went into it as holders in '89 uh, to get to the semi-finals, and never played in it again after that. So you have these kind of like bizarre peaks it's like Valencia who won in 80 beat Arsenal in the final they played as holders in 81 and I don't think they ever played in it again because they just you know, their own domestic cup just eluded them over the period of time that the cup winners cup remained in in action you know so you did you had these massive periods of time where teams would just be uh, you know absent from the tournament basically mm-hmm. Steve can I just jump in there and ask a question Ash you might might be going to ask this but no go on. it's just uh, it, it, Sort of unusual, really, because from a, a Liverpool perspective, um, you know, obviously I know a lot of Liverpool fans, and, and historically, I mean, the, the Cup Winners' Cup was never looked upon as a, in my opinion, as, as, as romantically as you as you talk of it now. No, I, it, I wonder it is that is that something unique to yourself, or I mean, obviously Liverpool in that yeah, era most, I mean, mostly I'm, concentrated I'm, on the European Cup. So yeah, it wasn't it, the Cup Winners' Cup very much wasn't a Liverpool thing. You know, uh, I think the first time. I saw Liverpool take part and it would have been early 90s after winning the FA Cup in 92 and that run to the semi-finals in 97 uh, where we blew it against PSG but within that you know you, I, I was so used to Liverpool I, I, old enough to have seen Liverpool win those 80s European Cups and uh, you know of the stories of the 70s and, and that we won the UEFA Cup as, as a build-up to becoming European champions in 77 and then winning it so many times it it meant that the Cup Winners' Cup just wasn't Liverpool. So, so do, do you think, think there was a snootishness? Not a snootishness, but I mean, do you think there was obviously a natural feeling of all that this isn't, you know, we're, we're above that, which obviously Liverpool were at the I, time. I, I, right? I, don't, I don't think so. For, for me, is it, if we'd have ended up in that tournament, I'd have wanted to win it just as much as any other. Uh, but for me, I think it, I'm, a, I'm a Liverpool supporter, but I'm a football fan in general, so the, the wider concept of football, I, you know, I love... Know, learning about new teams and and and, and all you know, I, I happily sit there and watch a game not involved in Liverpool, and it's almost a relief. And I think to to be able to watch a game of football, be entertained by it, but not be invested enough to panic about it, 
it's always it's it's quite it's quite relaxing actually yeah and, and i think that kind of like for me that concept of having that other side of my love of football where it, it's just the the football fan in general was probably born of the cup winners cup of being able to sit there and watch like a european tournament unfold over the course of a season without that vested interest and panic in it because there's a liverpool fan in the 80s there was nothing quite as panic-stricken as, as Liverpool being on the brink of exiting Europe because Europe was just such a, a massive thing. We, we expected to win the league title. We didn't win it every year like everyone thinks we did, but there was an expectation to win the league title. There was a fear of not winning in Europe. And, and that was the way I can only describe as being a Liverpool fan in the heyday. Uh, so to be able to watch kind of like other teams, other British teams in, in the Cup Winners' Cup, it, it was almost a relief because you could enjoy this tournament but not have that vested panic. So did it ever great, but does it great that Liverpool never added, added it to their you know, illustrious list of... Oh, of yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a mild irritation though. It would have been it would have been fantastic to have done the clean sweep, um, but we weren't in it enough to, to, to come close really. That 97 was probably the missed opportunity. And, and going in 66 and before my time, but reaching the final in 66 at a rain-lashed Hampden Park and losing it to, I mean, if you've never seen it, look it up on YouTube, the, the winning goal, which uh, bounces off the post, hits Ron Yates and goes into the back mm. of the net. Uh, We've all been there. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a touch of the naives about it yeah. in, in so many ways. We'll talk uh, so there. Yeah, so it's a historical nature. That that's the closest Liverpool came in '66, but within my lifetime, '97 was the drop ball as far as the tournament was concerned. Yeah, we'll talk. Do you think that 32 teams makes it better and easier to follow? Because I was just looking at the stats, and obviously, you see the Europa League and it's insane. Well, we'll talk about the UEFA Conference League at some point because that's what's going to replace this coming season. But yeah, go on, Joe. Yeah, there, yeah but... there was nothing. There was nothing unweirdly about the way it used to be done. It was just a very simple field of 32, or in the case of the the UEFA Cup, 64, I think it was. Um, and and yeah, it was just simply you know do or die. You you were either through or you were out. There, there were no group stages. There was no second chances. You know you only have to look at Tottenham. They're opening two games of, of the Champions League. Can even last year when they were on the brink of, of going out, did they lose three of the group games? Uh, you know it's the way it's done now is much more forgiving than it was then. Mm, it was indeed. Um, I asked the boys before we came on to pick out a couple of moments from the 90s uh, Cup Winners' Cup, obviously. Um, Matty, yours is very, very easy um, because it's something we talked about quite, what was that, length, but we've touched on definitely in the past. Um, I'm sure you're going to talk about 1991, the, 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 well, you know, the return for English clubs, European competition, that night against Barcelona, even the run, the whole 1991. I remember it vividly as one of the first proper European runs that I remember as a kid. What what do you take from it, Matthew, the, the 91 win for Man United? Yeah, well, obviously, Stephen talks that it talks from a, a, a sort of the polar opposite from a, a United point of view in, the, in that era, 80s and 90s. I mean, obviously, look, looking on, we were looking at Liverpool winning leagues and, and, and European Cups or competing for European Cups and getting to finals. And, and United were never anywhere near that. I mean, there was all, obviously those every year in the 80s there was always that threat that United might win the league, and this could be. I mean, it's almost history repeating itself. But there was always that this could be their year kind of thing. But um, it never never turned out. But I still think that that 1991 Cup Winners Cup final 
that United won in Rotterdam is still looked upon by United fans of a certain generation, naming mine, sort of in the late 30s, early 40s, as being uh, probably as big a night as, as any other. I, I'd, I'd argue that it's up there with the 99 uh, European Cup final, possibly even 68, if anyone you know was at both. But the way that you, people talk about that cup run and, and Rotterdam itself, the final, it, it's such a so uh, it's so unique in so many people's minds and you know the run itself I mean it was a bit of a turning point for, for United really Do you, I mean, we all know the, the sort of history of, of United in that era yes yeah, sorry how long had it been since United had won a European competition was it the si- 68 68 yeah. yeah I mean you know I mean United in the I'm sure Stephen remember but United in the sort of 80s particularly, but there was uh, maybe in the sort of late 70s. There's always this threat that you know they'd, they'd always assemble a, a decent team and they'd have a couple of big signings, and then there was always this threat that they were going to do this and do that and challenge for the league. And famously in 85, 86, they won the first 10 and blew a 10-point lead and, and blah blah blah. And they, and they they were always knocking on the door, and never actually delivered. And um, so the 1991 Cup Winners' Cup. Obviously, it came on the back of the 1990 FA Cup win, which was huge, as we all know, because you know, United were on the brink of. Yeah, top of the nearly, was delayed that night. That yeah, <laughs> nearly went, nearly went down. Fergie saved his job, all that, blah blah blah. But I mean, of course, then the Cup Winners' Cup comes along, and, and again, it was such a huge, huge event. I mean, I remember going over on the boat from Calais, uh, Dover to Calais that week. I mean, it was obviously midweek then, and it, and it was such a, a big deal. And, it, and I say the fact, obviously, if you look back at your sort of childhood with rose-tinted spectacles but I mean it does it, it, it sickens me in a way that people will look down their nose at tournaments like the Europa League and, and the, whatever the, the, the newer version is and you think well, it was such a, a not a saviour of United but it, it was such a big part of the success that United went on to have I mean obviously we know they won the FA Cup then the Cup Winners' Cup then narrowly lost out in the league the following season didn't win the league the season after that and then went on to win it for the next sort of uh, decade decade or two but um i think a huge a huge part of united's modern day success and um, not one to be sniffed at at all and i think any united fan that dares to sort of be snooty about the europa league or whatever the third tier with the conference i think needs to take a bit of a look back in history because it was it was such a big deal and obviously for English football as well because it was the first season back after a gap of five years so you know for a lot of people growing up they hadn't seen English teams compete in Europe and, and United went into the Cup and this Cup Villa went into the UEFA Cup because uh, they finished runners up the season before um, but I mean for me it, it was huge and you know, I still talk about it now with, with mates and we, it, it's a big deal I, I don't know whether it, it might have been a little bit before your time Ash I'm not sure but it was uh, it was I don't think you can you can overemphasize what what a big stepping stone it was for United to who who almost don't forget they were nearly well they didn't nearly get relegated but for a lot of the season before they were fighting a relegation battle won the FA Cup and then went on and won a European trophy and, and, and the rest is history so it's a massive part of, of United's history not culturally but but in terms of trophies as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Matthew, it must you know the Euro- Europa League campaign. From what was it three years ago? The Mourinho yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, that isn't thought in that way at no, all, is it? No, no, no. I mean, I know guys that went over there. I was offered a ticket. It was, uh, the flights and everything. It came to a couple of thousand pounds. I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But I mean, you know, it was almost looked upon as a bit of a jolly. And I can tell you now, the Rotterdam trip wasn't. I mean, it was a jolly in terms of everyone had a great week. And 
But it certainly wasn't just a, oh, well, if we win it, we win it. Well, yeah, it was a, well, it was a Wednesday night, wasn't it? So, I mean, a lot of guys would have gone there, and, you know, the weekend before and probably stayed to the weekend after. But If there were you, um, Matthew, who'd been there for two weeks. <laughs> well, I was only 14, and I was, I was with my parents. And, uh, you were still running a booking enterprise. Yeah, although uh, a certain Brian McClare was telling me about the uh, after, after party a couple of days ago. And oh, how come it, on, how, come on. How it went on. Well, he just... Back to Amsterdam and had about. I bet the well, bloody. I bet, yeah, I bet they were. Yeah. Painted, paint the town red. Yeah. Basically, basically, him and Brian Robson were down at the breakfast table the next day, having not gone to bed with bottles of champagne on the mm. table. Like basically, drinking right the way through. So he scored a fair few um, goals, didn't he? But, but Matthew is pals with Brian McClare. Well, he's work colleagues. <laughs> He scored a few goals in that run, didn't he? In the, in the group chat, what birthday pals or something? Drinking, drinking, drinking pals. And and El- and Elton Wellsby. Let's not forget Elton Wellsby as well. It's also yeah. No, I would expect. I wouldn't expect anything less of Brian Robson, Brian McClare to drink all night and be sat at the breakfast table the next day drinking champagne, having won a major European trophy. I mean, why wouldn't you? If, I'm sure that didn't happen after United won the Europa League three years ago. Mm. I'd like to be proved wrong, but I bet it when, didn't happen. When Middlesbrough got promoted to the Premier League the first time under Brian Robson, I have never seen so drunk a man <laughs> um, falling into the middle of Southfield Road in Middlesbrough, uh, outside the Dickens Inn, uh, stumbling about all over the place, and the taxi drivers were going mental until they realised who it was, and then they were fighting each other to give him a lift home for a million different reasons I'm well sure. I'm, go- I'm going to a, I'm going to a do with him for the weekend in December so I'll be able to tell you a few more stories oh, about right. that, I hope ask him all the Middlesbrough stuff you can yeah. thank you I really hope Brian Robson was in a half suit half kit while I'd be doing that as well because that <laughs> that, that would have been he was wearing, wearing a Middlesbrough polo shirt oh was he because okay. oh, oh. yeah we, we sort of saw them and then wandered up the road and then came back and it, it, like you know all hell was breaking loose Every, but I think everybody was pissed out of the red in Borough that day. Mm. Uh, quick last word from Steve on, on the Man United moment. I mean, wh- where does that rank for you in the history of the Cup Winners' Cup? I know obviously as English fans, we remember it. Is something you remember quite vividly, the Man United win? Yeah, I mean, it, it was everywhere. And it was a, a huge, a huge success for them to be able to win that in that first season back after the, the Heysel ban was, was pretty epic. And it was also... Uh, a turning point in, in kind of like broadcasting as well because prior to the to the ban when games weren't necessarily shown live like virtually every game of that run was shown live by ITV I seem to remember kind of like a Legia yeah. Warsaw match being like in, on a Wednesday afternoon I was going to say that the, yeah. ITV, the, ma- the match the famously the ITV match as it was called then or it was yeah it was Elton Wellesby wasn't it and uh, yeah, um, yeah Legia Warsaw away um, I think that Tommy Boyd presented it from uh, Children's ITV studio. He handed it over to <laughs> Wellesby. Uh, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, Pesky Munkash in the first leg that's, away that's was also right. on. Uh, well, I remember you played yeah, Wrexham, on, didn't on, you, on as well? Quarter final, Bolt Carl, yeah. Alderama. Yeah, um, I mean, was it was, yeah. Was yeah. Side. Mm. And Moron Blanc was actually in that, that yeah. side, later went on to play for Man United. But it was, it was a huge success for Man United. And I, I worked in Manchester for, for quite some time, uh, not long after that win. And I remember having a, a, a chat with a Man United fan and he, he he confided then much, much later that, that 91 meant much more to him than 99 did. And he'd gone to both games. And, and, and it is, it's true, because those early successes are the most 
electric ones. You know, by the time you get to a point in time when you've dominated for a long period of time, no matter how big that success becomes, it's always those early successes yeah. that that still kind of like send that that shiver down the spine. Yeah, yeah but that's that's the situation gonna... that Manchester City find themselves in now, then, or especially their fans. I mean, I've talked to a few City fans who say they kind of preferred it in uh, League One, whatever yeah. as was. You know, the the third tier. Yeah. I mean, I know a City fan who, who just didn't even bother going to the FA Cup final for instance no. last season. Because, Makes you just know, sick. Just, yeah. yeah. But there's something when you've got to pick and choose your games and you don't go to the FA Cup yeah. final. Mm-hmm. Go on, Matthew, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, you've got to, it's difficult to imagine now for you know, people you know, talking to United, but 1991, so before that, they'd won the FA Cup. And they, I'm not saying that you know, they were on their on their uppers but I mean there were people at that Rotterdam final that hadn't seen United win a league in their lifetime and hadn't seen obviously them win a European Cup and had probably seen them win two a couple of FA Cups in well three FA Cups in 20 odd years you know so it was a big deal I mean obviously it isn't now because people there's there are people that anyone in their sort of 20s remember United winning leagues and, and European Cups but I think that's why it was such a big deal because I mean the club had been not start of success, but it was a big turning point for people in their sort of late teens, early twenties. That would have been probably their first experience of a huge success. Same as if Liverpool won the league this season. I mean, they're, they're, of course, there are going to be people that have never seen it happen before, so it's going to be massive. So I can't, you know, it, it, that's why it should never be overlooked because it, it means so much, and, and it's almost it's almost overshadowed by the further the further success that came. But um, you know, without that that success probably wouldn't have happened in my opinion. That was like the thing last year though wasn't it Matthew when you know Liverpool won the European Cup and Manchester City won um, the league and you kind of got the feeling that and, and Stephen you can kind of correct me on this if I'm wrong but you kind of got the impression that they would have happily swapped um, I, I didn't feel that way when I was in Madrid bounced <laughs> um, <laughs> around Madrid um, yeah, it would have been great to have won the Premier League, Premier League but yeah, I couldn't. Have, it would have been like asking to pick between your children. <laughs> uh, it's you know, it, it was uh, you know, winning senior own team win the the European Cup, whatever you want to call it, Champions League. I'll always call it the European yeah, Cup. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, the, there's, there's just yeah. <laughs> it's just an, un, an unadulterated high to see that, and um, and and I think as a as a city, Liverpool is is one that looks out to the sea, you know, and and we're embraced on the continent as well in a way that we aren't at home quite so much. And uh, I, I just think we take to Europe so so well. I think we just want to win it all. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure even at a point now that I could say I'd, I'd, I'd swap swap the successes. I think Man City fans would would say it privately. Yeah, yeah I think they would. Yeah, not not necessarily publicly. I think <laughs> they'd say it privately, but I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't cash it in, I don't think. Mm. Just like, Ash, uh, yeah. me and you go off and talk about something else? Well, I was, just, I was going to say last word on, on 1991 because I was just looking at the, um, the top scorers of that tournament. The names on this for a competition that was seen in some circles as the third lesser tier. Baggio, the aforementioned Baggio, was top scorer of nine goals in that 91 um, season. Then Stoichkov, Sergi Uran, fit but further down, Perigio Luigi Kusaragi, Ronald Koeman, Chockey's in there. Um, well, McLeod scored in every round. Yeah, four oh, goals. Right. Marco Branca, Joel. The Marco Branca. 
The one, uh, yes, the Middlesbrough heroes scored. Actually, oh, we're going to fall out now, me and Steve. <laughs> scored in two minutes on his debut against Liverpool in the League his Cup. His debut in the League Cup semi final. Yeah. Then he was treated so well by Middlesbrough Football Club that he sued them and won. Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> a disgraceful way to treat the bloke. But he handled Marco Marco. Yeah. What a, a read. Him and Merson for about the 12 games of Oh, holy moly. Uh, and then Mark Hughes is in there as well. Oleg Selenko and Scalacci, the great Toto Scalacci. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a strong field that year. Yeah, yeah. Juventus. And, and yeah. United managed to miss like most of the big teams on the, on the route because like, Juventus were yeah. in there. Barcelona played Juventus in the semi-final. The semi-final, yeah. I remember coming out of the, sem- the other semi-final against Radio Warsaw awesome. and people, you know, the old days of Transistor Radio, people saying, who won, who won the other semi-final? Who won the other semi-final? Yeah, it was basically who they they were the two favourites played each other in the semi final. I mean, it'd probably be Jerry Mander these days that they that couldn't happen. But um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah. I don't yeah, think I was just about to say, was it a draw every time or was it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It was yeah, just yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like now you know who you're gonna get like all the way through. Yeah, no, it was a, it was an unseeded draw because <laughs> uh, that was where you, the Champions League was basically born of. Was it Real Madrid and, and Napoli being drawn together in was it the 87, 88 yeah. Cup first round? And that was the game that made kind of like, you know, the moves and shakers sit up and saying this shouldn't be a first round mm. game. This yeah. Be, you know, much later yeah. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah, and, and should involve kind of like all big clubs, you know, marginalising the, the lesser light. Well, the classic with that, and you'll know this, even is the uh, Forest Liverpool first round of the uh, yep. European Cup. You know the, yeah. the whole the English champions against the holders of the European Cup face each other in the first round. I mean, yeah, that just would not like, be allowed so to happen. Like, anything else, fuck it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, I that, know. That, well, I agree. That, yeah. is your, that is your argument. Bollocks! If that's what's happened. Yeah. That's what's happened. Yeah, that's that good. And if you're gonna win it. If you're gonna win it, and if you're that good, you've got to beat everyone. Rep first round yeah. makes it more exciting, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. That's. I don't want to that's. Me as a Borough fan, when we had our run. UEFA Cup final in 2006. You know, we played some, like, I don't want to be disrespectful and say silly nothing teams, but we played some teams that, you know, we played uh, Skoda Apollonia or something. And we played, you should have heard what they said about you. Well, uh, well, exactly. I mean, you know, people from, I mean, uh, we played Rome. I think we played Lazio at home. I'm silly sure nothing that, teams, yeah. I'm sure, that was, I'm sure that was an eye opener for the uh, fans from Rome. Um, <laughs> shall we talk you know Arsenal fans will be uh, listening be wondering when their time is coming because we can't talk about the Cup Winners Cup in the 90s and I know Joel you wanted to mention this the two Cup back-to-back finals they had in the mid-90s the one yeah, they won well, in 94 against Palmer and the Smith the great goal then obviously they lost the following season and as Stephen's always said the Naeem goal so but it's the, the semi-final you were talking about well, before we went on there against Sampdoria in 94 you remember Sampdoria, him, you? Well, yeah. David Seaman I mean it's so ridiculous now to think that Seaman is remembered more for his blobs than for Ridiculous. everything else. Yeah. And you can probably, what, Naeem definitely in the Cup Winners' Cup is one from the halfway line, which is a goal, which I, it, you know, I mean, one, it's, uh, he was off his line and all that, but what always makes me laugh about that goal is that Naeem dedicated it to all the Spurs fans everywhere, where she's like, you cheeky, cheeky bastard. Um, so I always kind of like that. But, um, the penalty performance in the game against Sampdoria is you what? <laughs> what can you tell us about that, Stephen? Oh, it was. I mean, Arsenal were just so synonymous with that that tournament over those years. You know, winning it against Parma was kind of defied gravity. 
because I mean, they, they, they had. A, they, I was looking at their team and there's yeah. Asprey, yeah, Brolin, yeah, Sola, all right, you know, one of them covered themselves glory uh, in the Premier League, and the other two, yeah, maybe a little bit, well, not so much. Yeah, but, but it was a stunning Palmer side. You know, Melly was in there as well, and it was there was no right for Arsenal to win that because it was also an understrength Arsenal side. Paul Davis, who'd been injured for most of the season, came back for the last few games and kind of dictated that game. He was surrounded by players like um, David Hillier and... Um, Ian, Ian Sally, yeah, yeah. In, in midfield. And if you look at the two midfields that went up against each other, it's incredulous that Arsenal could come away from that game and win it. And then vice versa the following year when they're a much stronger proposition. Because Ian Wright was injured or suspended, I can't quite remember now, for that 94 final. So he didn't play in the night, but he was he was back for the '95 final. They had the additional like John Hart and Stefan Schwartz was in that Arsenal side. Oh wow! So there's a '90s name. Oh, good right. yeah. We like a bit of Stefan Schwartz. A much stronger Arsenal side in the '95 final. So to lose the '95 final again made little sense, but it was still a great a great Zaragoza side. Yes, you had Naeem in there, who had that you know that personal motivation as a former Spurs player. But um, you have Miguel Pardeza, who was part of that 1980s Real Madrid uh, quintet of, of Butragueño, Michel, uh, Sanchez, and uh, Velasquez. And then he was the fifth man who didn't quite make it and had to go away to kind of like succeed. And, uh, and Poirier was in that side. Yeah, well. Gaspoirier, yeah. It was a great Zaragoza side. But you still would have banked on Arsenal to have won that one, considering that they'd seen off Palmer the previous year with an inferior lineup. Yeah. I think there's always that thing which you don't get so much now because we know everything that is going on all around. Well, yeah, well, yeah, you do. Still... The, it, it's it's a much smaller world now, so you know we we can watch any game of football from any league whatsoever, whether that's legally or illegally. Uh, this weekend, you know, you, there are no surprises out there, and and what you have back then was that sense of occasion that a massive game like Arsenal versus Sampdoria that went to the hilt and, and had Seaman you know, pr- producing heroics, it, it captivated a nation and, and the games were like live on terrestrial television it's as well and, and, on like a so, so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you, a, a Wednesday night where kind of like probably 15 million people are sat watching it uh, and, and, and I'd probably say it's still an era as well where People are less malicious, so you know the vast majority of the country are probably plugging for Arsenal to win that game. I remember when they won it, um, and I went to the corner shop straight afterwards. <laughs> we got a couple of beers and that, and I went in going, "Buzzer, isn't it? English club have done it." And the guy in the shop just went, "Was they wouldn't care about us?" And I kind of went, "I bet they would, because we're just absolutely nothing to them." But yeah, I think now I always look at European football like say if Chelsea then. I'm just pulling them out of the air, but it's kind of like a win-win. I like if Chelsea win because it's a it's a British club going through. But I also like if Chelsea lose because it's still Chelsea losing. Yeah, no, that's true. It's Chelsea they played in the semi-finals this competition as well this year which, um, in '95, which I completely forgot about it, until I. It was so you, you know you you almost had an Arsenal Chelsea final European final kind of like what 23, 24 years before it eventually happened. Yeah, but with you know Chris Kawamia and Paul Furlong on opposite sides is not quite as, as glamorous as it was last year as well. Chris Kawamia, yeah. that's a good name. Both ex, both ex QPR strikers, that's why I picked them out as well. Um, it's like Serge Gnabry has finally got his revenge as well. It's like the Arsenal Tottenham re- reverse of Naeem, isn't it? I just realised oh that. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Right, so 
I woke up this morning to a text from my friend Roy, which was a headline from the standard of a few years ago saying, Tony Pulis says that Serge yes, Gnabry yeah. is not up to West Bromwich Albion's standard. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know you don't like Woodgate, but come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that, exactly, yeah. yeah. My brother-in-law is freaking out because Millwall lost, um, Neil Harris stepped down today and he, he's heard the words Pulis speaking around uh, uh, South East London at the moment, which he's scared to death of. This is what I'm going to say. We finished seventh last season. I think we're going down. Ooh, well, My heading. prediction, I think 5-1 to one on Borough going down is a good price. Mm. Um, Chelsea obviously won in 98 with that goal from Zola. Um, but before we sort of wrap up, Steve, is there any sort of 90s moments we haven't really talked about? I know we talked a lot about English clubs obviously being this side of the pond. But if you, is there any standout moments from the 90s Cup Winners' Cup that we haven't talked about? Uh, yeah, the, 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 the 92 final was a bit eerie. Um, Werder Bremen beat Monaco and it was 24 hours after the, the Bastia disaster where the the French Cup semi-final against Marseille. Oh, OK, yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and the temporary stand collapsed and uh, the French Cup was... the game would go ahead after uh, Exactly, yeah. And it was in Lisbon and kind of like... A, and and the, the vast stadium of light was about a third full. And, uh, 16,000, yeah. Yeah, this, this was a Monaco being led by Arsene Wenger. I think Emmanuel Petit was in the side and, and there was a lot of kind of like signposts to, to what was to come in England in, in years to come. And Monaco were a side on the up and, and I, I think had the events of 24 hours earlier not happened then, Monaco might, might well have, have, have won that final against Werder Bremen because it was a Werder Bremen who'd, who'd only finished, I think, in mid-table. Um so yeah, I think a whole final there was was turned on the on the on the stroke of a disaster twenty four hours earlier, and um, yeah, beyond that you're, you're looking at Barcelona. Barcelona's love affair with a tournament, you know, four times winners, yeah, and to to have won it, you know, that that Ronaldo powered side and Figo led by Bobby Robson in yeah. ninety seven. Yeah, the, the final was a bit prosaic, but you know that was a a fantastic way to. To, to see off uh, what was an, an excellent free-flowing footballing season from Barcelona. It, it almost... Stephen, what is your... Sorry, go, go on. Go on, now, go on, Joe. I was just going to ask him what his favourite game is of all time. And not just the 90s, but all time. Um, and you can say Liverpool if you want it, you know, when nobody's going to shout. <laughs> no, I've, 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 I've gone after to go with... Uh, probably Aberdeen beating Real Madrid. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I well, I well remember that game. Uh, sat watching it, and it was Gothenburg was just saturated that night, and you could it just seemed to shine off the television. And and if you look up the footage when when Real Madrid equalise, Aberdeen take the lead, and, and Real Madrid get this penalty a few minutes later and equalise, and and it's blasted in, and you can see the water that's rested on the back of the netting. It just sprays all over the photographers at the back behind the net. And, and it was just a proper evocative image. And it was the all-red of Aberdeen against the all-white of Real Madrid and De Stefano in charge of Real Madrid. And, and it was just this, you know, I, I think it was one of the, the indelible nights of, of European football. A, a massively underrated achievement, I think, as well, for, in terms of Ferguson's career. You know, I mean, I know he's obviously remembered well for his, what he's done at United or what he did at United. But, I mean, that was a heck of a... An achievement to it uh, was it, it was it was, abs- it was absolutely massive it was absolutely massive it made him one of the hottest properties 
in, in European football and you know offers did flood in and, and it, it largely goes forgotten that you know Spurs were on the brink of naming him in around about 85 I think it was until he was persuaded to, to hang in at Aberdeen for another season and a nice touch as well I'm sure you might know this team, but um, a lot of the Aberdeen fans got the boat over there for that and then they got the boat back and it took I don't know, 30 hours or something to get the boat over <laughs> from there. So the, the players flew back. Did they run out of um, booze on that? Well, probably. But the players flew back The players flew back that night and uh, had a do at the ground and everything. And then Fergie found out that about a thousand fans were coming back on the boat two days later. So he sent the whole team down to the dock with the trophy uh, to welcome the boat back. Oh, in wow. Wow. And there's a yeah. pic, there's pic, I've written a piece about it, but there's pictures of him and the, McGee, the captain, well, basically the whole team. As the boat comes in, the, the, the fans obviously think that they've missed the uh, celebrations and they're all there waiting for them. And I always thought that was such a great touch, you know, and yeah. very, t- very typical of the man if you ever read or hear about, you know, the kind of things he's done in the past. But, yeah, great, great touch. And what it, what it must have been like on that boat back. I mean, God. A few pair siders on that one, that's, that's for sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I'll just look. You know, it's like, it's like I, I say, I've said on this a lot of times that I think, you know, staying up in the league is lovely, and you know it is. It's fine, and you get to go to all the nice places. But cups and cup runs are where you make your memories. I've already, you know, like I said, we got to the uh, the um, UEFA Cup final as was in 2006. We got battered four 0 in the final, and I knew we were going to get battered, but I still remember it, and it was still brilliant. And my mates went and absolutely loved it. In um, it wasn't Rotterdam, was it? But it was oh Eindhoven. Um, you know, it, it's that's where your real memories come from, and you know most of us aren't going to win the league. Um, I think three out of the four of us here haven't ex- haven't won the Premier League. I think one of us might this year, and one of us definitely won't. Um, <laughs> well, two of us, since we're not in the same league, but yeah, go on. No, that's what I said, no, I said one of us is experienced. Three of us. The <laughs> no, what, yeah, oh God, honestly, um, but you know, but I think cup runs for. A lot of sides are where your memories and I can remember all the cup runs we've gone through and like fun and games that we've had at each ground when we've gone away and and I think I think a, a proper cup competition done well is just really important. So tell us about this conference league because I haven't got a bloody clue. Um, go on, Steve, because I can't re- make no heads or tails of it. How much do you know about it? <laughs> um, 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 probably as much as you. Yeah, are. you know it, it, it's going to be. Basically, a tournament for probably for teams finishing, I don't know, sixth to ninth or whatever it's going to be, uh, and another 32. Because th- I think the, is it the Europe League's meant to be going down to a 32? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reading something now. Uh, you know, and it, it's yeah. So it's it's, it's overcomplicated. Cup, yeah, it? it's basically it's, it's a European version of the ZDS Cup. Basically, it's a nation's league. Whatever they do with it, it's going to be unsatisfactory. Yeah, completely. Does it not go to the cup winners? No, not at all. No, no. I thought it was was the cup winners, and then if if the cup winners finish, then it goes down to sixth place or something. I thought, I don't know. No, I'm not. not, Apart from your mega football geek who's going to watch everything, right? I wouldn't care about this unless Borough were in it, and and Borough aren't going to be in it. There There was even talk a few months ago that the tournament wouldn't be televised in the way that the the Champions League and the Europa League is. So then what's but the point in the, it? <laughs> it? It would it, the games would be online basically. Oh god. It would be an it would be an, an online, online only thing, yeah. So it's, 
So yeah, it, it's for total mega geeks to sort of, you know, it's kind of like two bald men fighting over comics. And who put the word conference in there? Like, what, that is like, one of the most... Just, I mean, well, in, in England, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it doesn't kind of like provide a, a majesty to the tournament. No, it, it just, it just you know, makes you think of a, this, something boring. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's no surprises out there now, though, is there? I mean, this will go back to what we were saying before, is that, you know, back then it felt like an occasion when these games were taking place, and, and now it doesn't because the world is smaller. We can watch all of these games in, in some way or another. You know, if we want to watch an Albanian Premier League game this weekend, then we'll probably find it somewhere on a betting site at the very least. You've, um, you've seen my weekend schedule already, haven't you, Stephen? <laughs> I have. You better and, than watching uh, QPR, right? I'll let you have that one since we lost 3 to Cardiff last night. So, yeah, I'll let you have that one. Can, can I just can I just say, like, for a question for everyone, really, but, like, we've just been chatting for nearly an hour about how great, you know, the memories were of the Cup and this Cup and, and, well, basically the Cup and this Cup, but European football as a whole. But obviously that's not the case now. Champions League, yes, trumps everything. I mean, do you, what do you think really would make anybody now interested in Europa League or the conference or any whatever you want to call it I would say keep Champions League as is because that's never going to change and your top clubs are always going to want that and you know what I go so far as we can say make the top five in the top leagues and sort it out and then have a straight knockout competition underneath that I think the Europa League is definitely get rid of the league part of it it, it needs to be yeah it needs to be knockout because look at the team Arsenal play tonight. It's kids. It's basically the EFL Cup of, of Europe. Like They play the kids in it. Most young kids make their debuts in the group stages of the Europa League. And it's just a point. It's trying to make it like the Champions League. But it comes across like their half-arsed little brother. It's second rate. Yeah. Like, unless you are a team like us. You know, my mates went to sport in Lisbon. They went to uh, Lats- uh, Roma, I think. Yeah, it was Roma. Yeah, Lazio, Roma, I think. Um, and, and, and I think... You know, all right, if you massive clubs want to play each other week in, week out, I don't have to watch it, cool. And then if you sort of second tier of that, you have a cup knockout competition, that's where I go on it, I think. But, you know, then again, I'm not uh, in charge of UEFA. Worse luck. Mm. But it's strange, though, isn't it? Because when United had Liverpool in the um, Europa League a few years ago, obviously it was a huge game for United and Liverpool fans, and, and probably some people in, in Britain, but... It, would, it didn't have the impact that it would if United had Liverpool yeah, in the I, Champions League. You're going to effectively, it's the same remember, game. I still remember, you know, that the famous one, like Rotor Volgograd on BBC One on a Thursday night. I mean, maybe it's about we get so much football now. And I think it's a little bit to do to that, yeah. Yeah, we get so much football now and we don't get it so much on terrestrial television and then it doesn't... But, but, it, doesn't seem to, it, but it doesn't seem to impact on the Champions League, does it? I mean, as far as I can see, people are still sort of in the Champions League. care about it. Well, you do. Well, I don't really. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not I'm talking. Do you, Ash? Because I don't. Um, I mean, obviously. I at the final, because I think, you know, I like to watch the final and the pizzazz. I'm glad it's on a Saturday night. It's a better game, but I couldn't care less about it. I care as much as, I, you know, working on a kid's football magazine, I have to care as as much as I have to because... They, his bosses are listening. Yeah, exactly. In case anyone's listening from Kick Magazine, um, I do. Uh, I think the group stages struggle. I think this year has been better already with some surprising results, but I think the group stage struggle because it, generally it's the same teams that get through to the knockout stage and you're seeing the same games. But I think they've done well over the years to build the prestige around the Champions League, but it's to the... Just, taste of the of the Europa League because no one really cares about it. You could team like Burnley last season. They fought all season to finish wherever they did. They got into the Europa League and then didn't really care about it. 
went out straight away, and it ruined the first half of their season. So, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one. I think it's a good question, Matthew. What they could do? Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. These early rounds, you know. Um, bring back the Zenith Data Systems Cup. That's what I say. Um, but yeah, I think there's something we'll, they'll need to look at in the future to make this Europa Conference League. Oh, I can't believe they've called it that. Some sort of success because at the moment it, I can't see how it will be. Um, well, I think we've kind of. I was just going to wrap up with the, the only result, the sort of finals we did mention. In, so, in 1990, Sam beat Anderlecht. We did uh, 93, Palmer beat Royal Antwerp 3 1. And of course, the last one, which we haven't mentioned, Lazio beating Ramiorca, which actually played at, at Villa Park in 1999. That was the last Cup Winners' Cup uh, final. Uh, Stephen, before. Is, uh, is that the one that Chelsea got? Weren't Chelsea going to do? Because nobody ever won it twice, did the Steve? No. That's right, isn't it? Back to back. Back to back, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Chelsea were, I think they got to the semis, didn't they? That, yeah, they were beaten by Real Mallorca. Yeah, they got to the semi finals. They almost won it um, back to back. So, um, that, that, that last final, what, uh, you had like Spanier and Ericsson, uh, a heavily banked role with Lazio. And uh, it was Hector Cooper who was in charge of Mallorca. And uh, wow. there was a, a story behind that was that. Lazio were kind of within the process of blowing the Serie A title, so Cragnotti, the the autocratic owner of uh, of Lazio, was bankrolling them massively, had basically threatened Ericsson with a sack. You know that if he didn't win the Cup Winners' Cup, then you know he'd be replaced. And there's a rumor or, or an urban myth of whether there's any truth in it was that Fabio Capello was actually offered the job at half time. <laughs> but the part say, if we lose this, the job's yours if you want to. Uh, Lazio went on to win it. Ericsson kept his job, won the Serie A title the, the following season, and, and Capello went to Roma instead, who in turn he, he took to the Serie A title in 2001. Um, so yeah, it was this massive snowball effect within this this fifteen minute half time period at Villa Park, which bizarrely was a ground that had never hosted a Cup Winners Cup game in its in its life because Villa had never competed in the tournament. Uh, Villa had last won the FA Cup in, in nineteen fifty seven, so mm-hmm. you know the the entry to the Cup Winners Cup was never forthcoming. Mm-hmm. There you go. I remember them playing Inter Milan in the UEFA Cup. And that was. It- Big back in the 90s. Lap front four of Lazio, I was just looking at that. Nedved Mancini, Vieri Salas. Ooh. Holy moly. Hello, you. That is That was some front four. Um, Steve, before you go, tell us where we can buy the book um, and where people can follow you on, on the social network. Yeah, the book's available all the usual places. It, it, you know, a Waterstones near you. Uh, online at Waterstones and uh, Amazon and, and, and anywhere that you would, would normally buy a book. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scraggy underscore 74. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Boys, uh, people know... Oh, no. Joel, drumroll, please. You've got a new Twitter handle, haven't you? Yeah, I got really bored of it. Um, <laughs> somebody said that... Basically, because I had a magazine called Baby Hercules about eight years ago, it's still Joel um, Baby Herc from that. And then loads of people were going, why is that? Why have you got that? What's that? So I am now at that Joel young on uh, both and i've just followed steven so there you go we're like twitter mates now man oh, you're pro- proper friends proper friends now uh matthew you're still old, hamming up the old school way though aren't you where can people find you on the social yeah i've never well partly because i haven't been banned about five years. <laughs> <laughs> i only got banned once and that was for swearing at a nazi <laughs> okay um but you did fall out with the Liverpool Echo, I seem to remember. But yeah, all right. 
So it's um, at Matthew J. Chris. And exactly the same on Instagram as well, if you want to see pictures of me and Brian McClare chatting about. It's not like well, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, glad somebody cared. Well, no, we all cared. We definitely all care. You're going to get him on this show at some point. That would be nice. Um, follow follow myself at Asherage UK, but more importantly, follow the show at AK90s on Twitter and at AK90s Pod on Instagram. Um, we'll be back soon. We'll hopefully, if we can get John Ludden, who's our special guest, meant to be for the uh, this episode, but we had to switch it around a bit. But we'll be talking Diego Maradona very, very soon. I keep promising. No, in in terms of oh, weeks. You yeah, you gave us another good idea, which we'll talk about in a forthcoming pod. But no, there's nothing we wanted Stephen on the show. Of course we did, and it's actually very apt on a Thursday night European week. It worked very well. Stop trying to get me in trouble, Joel. Um, <laughs> I just like get you in trouble. You very much do. Um, thank you very much for listening. As always, share, subscribe, like, all that um, on iTunes and everything. Give us a five-star rating and review. It helps us very, very much. I've been Ash Rose. They've been the boys. He's been Stephen Scrag. Please join us again soon and keep it 90s.